If you're if you're listening to this on transistor radio and you're in the bath, do not drop the radio. Again, I repeat, do not drop the radio. And now on with the show. Hi, this is Ria Mukherjee, and you are with Oaks. <laughs> See? You're listening, yeah. Hi, this is Ria Mukherjee, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Ria Mukherjee. She's the author of The Body Myth, a novel, her first novel. Ria, how are you? I am absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, I, you were at City Lights last night, right? In San Francisco? I was, I was. That was kind of unbelievable yeah. because um, who gets to read at City Lights, right? I did. Did you? Oh, for my first novel, yeah. What? Yeah. Really? When was this? Oh, like 150 years ago? No, uh, uh, it was like uh, 2010. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I was just, I, I, it was a surreal moment for me. Yeah. But me, yeah, me and uh, my other publishing brother, Adam Nemet read from our books yesterday both of our debut novels and it was really intense and we had a full we both went to grad school at CCA yeah. um, so we had a bunch of people and from CCA there is in San CCA San Francisco yeah we both did the, our MFA programs over there yeah. and we had some old professors and then all the other students who are left in the, who can still afford living in the city yeah, yeah. they came so yeah. it was amazing how long did you live in San Francisco just two years I was there just for two years. I gotta tell you, you sound like a native because you called you you instantly called it the city. The people that lived in the city, you were talking very native San Franciscan, which is hard to find, especially for two years. You did a you did a lot in two years. Wow. Uh, okay. I, I take that as a compliment. So as a writer, I just take the culture in, you know. Okay. <laughs> and how was that San Francisco culture? Because now, okay, so before San Francisco, where did you live? So I'll tell you, I had a very mixed upbringing I was born I was born in the US but and so ages 1 to 10 or rather you know up until fifth grade I was in the US and then my family moved us back to India and that what kind of culture shock was that to go from so in the in the states where were you in the states I'm sorry did you say well Florida, oh, Florida. yeah really and weird right Florida. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really random like, you're like damn the crystal meth in India just is not as good yeah, pretty much. So I was in Florida till I was 10. And then this was in the er, kind of early 90s, mid-ish 90s. And then we moved to Bangalore. Um, and then it was a huge culture shock because not only did there's a schooling system like 5 million times harder in India, with especially in regards to math and science, you had to learn three other languages with as school. Like So you, you're taught in English, but you also have to know Hindi. And then we had our local language, which is Kannada. And then we had Sanskrit. And it was... It, I failed everything. It was a horrible first couple of years. But then I really, you know, learned to love it. And then, um, but my family again moved back to Denver of all places. Random city that my father chose. Um, and Did then, he just like point at a map? Did he like just go blind, blindfold me? It was like playing that little dart, that, that game with pin the tail on the donkey? Yes. I kid you not. We landed up in Denver with eight suitcases. Four member family. I have a brother, my mom, my, my dad, my brother. And uh, we landed up, and because he, he made me apply, he said, it's, you're either, we're either going to go to New Mexico or Denver. And then I, had to, I applied to both colleges, and I got to uh, Colorado State University. Okay. 
in 2002 and we just landed up there like the, my father had zero plan he just had his you know he knew that he could get his real real estate license um back up if he did a few exams but like no other plan like no real job and my mom had her nursing license so like they just went with the flow and then they just got their jobs there and then we resettled we re-immigrated to america in in 2002 okay and then what was the culture shock like then because that I'm, was pretty yeah that was be, sad because i had settled in because then you had your formative your formative years are in india from age 14 to what was i 18 when when you go back to college right so that was hard because then you you know you're, you're rediscovering america in a different culture in a roommate culture in a college culture very isolating very you know so i had some hard years um there but yeah, um, I think I lived in the U.S. for another eight years after that, 2002 to 2011. And then I've since been back, since 2011, uh, in Bangalore, uh, right. India, because um, I love it there. So, I, yeah, so I've been living there. And uh, my mom and brother still live in Denver. So, yeah. Oh, so do you get to visit them a lot? Do you I still kind of... Yeah, like, you know, one, try to make it out here once a year or once... Oh, I'm sorry. Your editor, Chris, just came by with some coffee. Thank you, Chris. Coffee. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, Chris will, be, Chris will be leaving us now. So goodbye, Chris. Now that, now that I have my black coffee, the interview is going to get crazy. Oh, really? Oh, dr oh drink, drink it all in one sip then. Yeah, I'll try that. Yeah. Well, that that was that, that was a that was a quick brushstroke of all the cultural differences back and forth. Yeah. Um, over 35 years yeah. of my cultural shocks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so now you're on book tour in the, in the United States. Yeah. Now, what's it like to have a no your first novel out and then come back to, you know, especially like City Lights last night? What, what's, what's it like now that you're an author? You're, you're, you're amongst the elite. The elite authors. <laughs> it's surreal. Yeah. It's absolutely surreal, Tony, because... Um, you know, you go to grad school there. Now, you're not going to grad school for anything. You're going to grad school as an MFA. First of all, that's like a shot in the dark, right? When you do an MFA, people used to laugh at you. Like, that's not an employable degree, and it really is not, right? And so it's, it, it, you know, it's just like, oh, you, you MFA types sitting in, you know, doing your MFA. But to actually come back eight years later to that same town and say, I'm, you know, I did it, and I got this book out, um, it's persistence and I went back in uh, back to India you know in 2012 and I started a writing workshop over there and I've I've seen a lot of talent there I've seen a, so much talent both here and in India and I feel like a lot of people give up just because they didn't understand that rejection is part of it rejection's like all of it I think it's all of it it's it's literally all of it yeah. it's like you get one piece of sunshine and the rest of your life is black and dark and if you cannot accept that then you cannot be a writer right yeah. you cannot expect to like have this day where like I get to have an interview with you right. talking about it yeah. because you know behind behind this interview is about mm, 10 years of collecting rejections yeah. and if you take that personally and I see a lot of people take it personally and obsess over it for years for years Obviously, you're going to burn yourself out. You're never going to, you know, never going to go back to it. So you know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like what people who are, who uh, who like want to write and are you know working on their first books or really trying to push through, they think that it's going to get that the feelings are going to get better, but yeah. they only get worse. You yeah. only want to throw up more when you're published. You want to throw up more when you when the reviews yes. come. Yes. yes. How was your first novel experience? I would like to know. Uh, well, I well, I got I scored a divorce out of it. 
Yeah, no, it was it was it was a it was a uh, it's kind of like a, I put a nuclear warhead on in my life, and then um, and then I got the blessings of becoming uh, finally getting published. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty intense on many different levels, and then but the the satisfaction of actually like going, oh wait, I I can now say I'm a writer, even though I've been writing for years. I kind of feel like I can actually say, oh yeah, I'm a writer. I, that's that's kind of the loose brushstroke of me. Yeah. yeah. Being able to say that you're a writer because, well, I guess it's, I mean, it's not like you're not a writer when you're, when you're, right. you're trying to be a writer, but you feel validated because it is a process and it's a process that takes so much gumption, so much tenacity that yeah. that's the reason you take it and say, if you get random people to say, we're going to publish your book yes. in, a, in a place where thousands and thousands and thousands of stuff is being pushed out every day, yeah. it's a, you get, you get a small spot to tell your story. Yeah. Uh, that's exceptional and that's a privilege and it's I mean it's it's fucking amazing are we allowed to say fucking yes we we actually encourage it over and over again so. excellent okay yeah, yeah. Um, and okay so I, I gotta talk about your book just the, oh yeah because this is kind of a literary podcast right <laughs> no, I just gotta say I love the voice I, I love you, you, you threw so many beautiful elements in there I love the philosophy I love how you got the three characters together and you just fucked them up can we say fuck on this <laughs> but it's just on so many levels I was just like it's just it's 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 really great I'm getting a huge kick out of it I don't get to say that about everyone's book so that's fun thank you yeah I mean I thought it was a, a, a little well I, I personally like to read books where I feel like a little bit smarter after I've read them so that so that's what I went into. I'm like, well, that's what I enjoyed reading. And now, how do I kind of put this in? And first of all, I'm not as smart as Mira is in the book, who's the main part. So I had to pretend become smart for three months. So a big part of writing this book was actually spending, oh, I would say three hours a day um, learning philosophy, really? especially on YouTube. Dude, there's a lot of good philosophy videos on YouTube yeah, if you want yeah. to do a crash course, right? Yeah. Um, but I had to, and then I was like, I would sit down every day and I would like take notes. And I would be writing pages and pages of notes and names and years and trying to make these connections, trying to see the world the way she did. And it's a very artificial process because I am not someone who remembers names. Like even if you tell me right now, like Rio, what are your favorite books or your favorite authors? Oh, right. I don't remember. Like, you know, like I, I, I just, it, my brain doesn't work that way. And so I, I had to do this exceedingly um, artificial process of trying to be as bookish smart as my main character was in this book and um, and then I forgot it all so like now you can pull out facts and I'll be like really that's that's interesting yeah, yeah. so that part's been surreal too that's great Rhea who's your favorite author who's your, who's your favorite book <laughs> don't do this to me please please don't do this to me no, I, I won't. I, I, I hate, I mean, I don't hate that question, but I'm like, can I get back to you tomorrow with like a thoughtful <laughs> list? Like thoughtful yeah. list. Because then you'll yeah. say two names, you'll be like, I can't believe I left out this person, this person, yeah. this person, this person. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, I just said my friends. Everyone's going to know it's just my friends. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so you, you got your degree and then you went back to ba 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 Bangalore. Bangalore. It was <laughs> Bangalore. Yeah, you said it. Okay, I I don't know what you said my name correctly. First go, you said Bangalore, but then yeah, yeah. no, my self-esteem issues are like really coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lack thereof, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, going. So did you you wrote most you wrote most or all the novel in Bangalore? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I wrote this. This novel, yes. Um, I had two. I have two failed novels. Oh, well, don't we all? I love that. And the, and they'll. Um, so I have one that'll never see the light of day. And yeah. and are both of those? Will both you'll, will never see the light of day. Isn't it? I assure you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing though? Yeah, yeah. It, it ta- what's weird is, in order to learn how to write a novel, you got to write a novel. That's it. That. I agree, absolutely. Yeah. That's what it takes. Because then you realize, like, what the hell am I doing? Like, you know, some, at some point, I think you give up on novels because you know that they were just your practice rounds. They were just, you're trying yeah. to get something out, but like, that was not your novel. So this novel actually came out really fast because over like seven years, actually nine years, there are two novels that I had to dump. One was that I was working on during my MFA. I learned a lot through that process. And one that I started right after my MFA. And both were just not me. And yeah. this novel came out of me in months. Now, was that the first draft, or was that from first draft to um, final draft before you started submitting? Um, the first draft of this book was done, it w- well, it was a novella. And, and as you can see, it's not a very thick book. It's just uh, 60,000 words. Yeah. So when it, when, when it was done, it was a novella. It was 43,000 words. Oh, okay. And, you know, nobody wants to publish no novellas these days. But... Because they're too, you know, they're not, especially as a debut writer, nobody wants to go with a novella. They want, oh, okay. you know, they want at least 60,000 words. Okay. So they can sell it as a novel and it seems right. feature, feature length or whatever, you know. Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, so um, I got into something called, have you heard of Pitch Wars? It's something on Twitter. It's a Twitter competition. It sounds like a reality TV show. It is. On, it's, it like is. A, it's a reality TV show for books, dude. It's really? like, you have to get, yeah. Wow. It's huge. So it, it gave me um, this chance for um, a bunch of writers, like all these, like, I think 3,000 people apply and like 100, 150 get in. And you're, you're teamed up with a mentor. These are volunteer mentors okay. who work with you on the book and then they have an agent round and all the agents know about it and then you put your book, you put your first few pages on and you talk about your process with your mentor and then, um, you know, agents request. And it just kind of gives the writers a boost to find... You know, through yeah. the querying, which is such a, you know, shitty, shitty, shitty process. Right, right. Um, okay, but, okay, so, yeah. let, so let's work through this. Yeah. So you so you had, was this the, were you still at novella phase or did novella you, phase. so you were at novella phase and you, uh, you, you entered into Pitch Wars, which is a Twitter thing, yeah. and you were among the 100 to 150 yeah. that went to the next step. Okay. Yes, correct. Back to you, Ria in Los Feliz. <laughs> And I got paired up with uh, an awesome, wonderful mentor called Kristen Lepionka, and she writes thrillers um, and mysteries and um, uh, really, really good work. Um, so she, you know, kind of worked with me on this manuscript. But in the meantime, I had also sent and collected about, I think, 35 rejections from agents, both in India and in the U.S., um, for this, for the book. Um, just point blank, we're not interested. Um, to interrupt you, so in India, uh, you can also submit in English? Is that a normal thing to do? Yeah, yeah, because English is, um, I mean, a huge uh, publishing industry right now. Of course, we publish in different languages, but there is the regular English uh, literature that is becoming more and more of a thing right now, especially, yeah. So, um, yeah, what was I saying? Um, So we were on that you had a mentor, this uh, author that brought you on. 
and in the meantime i like i said i w- had also um you know sent it a bun- to a bunch of agents in india and the us and collected a lot of rejections but there was this one agent in new york who said i really liked your novella <laughs> but um and and uh, you know maybe she, she'd want to look at it after i finished pitch wars oh, okay. so cuz i told her i was like this is kind of in pitch wars now so i have to like work on it for 2 months you know and Okay, so she was outside of Pitch Wars. Yeah. She was a submission that you had submitted, so you were cold, in the middle of... What? So like, what was pile. it? Cold slush pile? Slush pile. Got the, got I got a slush pile response. Yes. That's amazing. Like, so that is, that's the glowing part of my story. Yes, I did a slush pile, and it's a slush pile to even get into Pitch Wars, a slush right. pile to even get my agent. Yeah. Um, and I think that... Is just, just getting there is... Yeah. That makes me feel so amazing, yeah, because yeah. that's so fucking hard you know cause, and, and there's so many times that with all the rejections you get you're just like you know fuck this book it's not gonna happen uh-huh. there was one point and I was telling this to my professor the other day when I was catching up with her after eight years and I said I, th- I, I got into vegan cooking very recently like for the last three years like, I was like I got so pissed off with this book that I said I'm gonna start a vegan cookbook and I'm gonna write a vegan cookbook but that was not me at all. Like that's not what I wanted to put my time into—not making a cookbook. But I, I mean, you know, but I had like deluded myself into believing that that was a good project because I was so pissed off about this. Yeah. So anyway. So so then so then you're at the anger point, and this is before the agent, uh, and and this is before you got the bump up in pitch wars. Where you're at the I'm at my last straw. So how how long between finishing the novella and getting a, a response of a bump up in Pitch Wars and the agent, was it? How long was that? Well, I finished the draft in late 2016. Okay. And I got into Pitch Wars in August 2017. And that's when you got the bump? That's when I got the, uh, the agent also, re- you know, responding wow. to me saying I really like it. And then I actually got an official offer from my agent in New York, who's, her name is Stacey T- Testa from Writer's House, and she gave me an offer in November of 2017, yeah. Wow, that's great. And now the offer was up from unnamed. Is that that's? What do you say? Are you saying that you got oh, the yeah, offer? Oh, your your age, the representation. Yeah. So then, so then we worked on the body myth for a long time. It was actually the there was it was a different title. It was called Malays. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like Malays. Like, like, my publishers did. You can talk to Chris about that. <laughs> or Chris, 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 we can we retract something here? <laughs> <laughs> he likes the title too. See, thank you. That's on record now that you yeah, like yeah. the old title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but oh well. But is it, the, there's um there's there's an old uh, French book called Malays that's. What, is, is there? So this is what Chris and uh, Olivia, my publisher, were telling me. They're like, it kind of sounds like this really old, not trendy book, and you might not want to publish under that name, like you know, under that. And I'm like, well, uh, fair enough. And to be honest, now I love the body myth because it is dynamic and it yeah. is this thing. But I I still have an attachment for. You know, millions. Well, I mean, I'm the guy that likes old, non-trendy like things. Non-trendy. So, yeah, yeah. You probably would have picked it up if right, you saw right. millions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, But the body myth is also, I mean, the body myth is very, I mean, it's catchy right away. It's like, it's what exactly, is this? Exactly. And then you start to read it and you're like, oh, oh it kind of like changes everything around. It's, right, right. They, they did a good job. Yeah, I do. I do think they made the right call. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, telling you my story. <laughs> um... Yeah, so, um, and, and then, you know, my agent put it out in uh, late 2017, 2018, and we... So, so when your agent put it out, was it still novella, or did she have no, you expand no, no. it? We worked on it for a few months, and we, okay. made, it a, we made it a proper novel. And, what, and um, so, so it was a couple months, and she gave you notes to expand another, like, 15,000 words almost? 
Uh, yeah, well, that also from my Pitch Wars mentor, okay. uh, Christine, oh. she worked with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we made it about, I think, 55. And then with my agent, we made it 60. It was a very sh- it is a short novel. And after you, like, you know, look at the entire novel, you will see why it's so, why it kind of needs to be short, if you ask me. But, like, it was, it was not a story that could be elongated. Um, so. I think, I think the stories tell us how long they need to be. I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think somebody goes, oh, we need 120,000 words about this, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so, you know, the, my, uh, we worked on it for a few months, and then we went to the big bad world of submissions. Oh, and how was that process? That was the worst thing ever. Like, what the hell? I thought, I thought queering was bad. Is it, okay, so, so, so hold on. So um, you get the agent and your response is total elation, right? You're elated. Yeah, my life's amazing. Yeah. Here we go. Where do I count my money? What bank yeah, should I get? What bank should I get? How do I save my taxes? Right? right, right. <laughs> right? Sure. It's like, man, I don't know what Lexus to get. It's, I'll, maybe I'll just get them both when the money comes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then the agent starts submitting to publishers. So, here, so what was that process like for you? So it was, there was a roller coaster because I had very early interest from a very big publisher, the first, in the first forty-eight hours, and I thought, guess what I thought? I thought my life is like one of those superstar writers, you know. I'm going to tell people like, yeah, in forty-eight hours I had like an auction, and then like my life was amazing, and I'm super rich right now, so whatever. But no, (laughs) it wasn't. (laughs) I have a company of people writing vegan cookbooks. They're all writing them for me. No, it wasn't. Yeah, um, yeah the, you know, the editor loved it, but then, of course, uh, marketing shot it down and said it was too risky of a book. Really? Yeah. And it probably what was the reason that they thought it was risky? Uh, they mostly thought that it was a little, you know, out there in, in terms of what the book is about, and it might be, it might be hidden or, you know, because with bigger presses, they put so many books out there that, you know, this, a small book like this that has a kind of an indie vibe to it a little bit might just be like, go under the radar completely. Right. So, I mean, fair enough. And um, so then we didn't, you know, then, then we got a shit ton of rejections again by a lot of people and a lot of long waiting periods. Because you'd always hear this like, oh, editors like really like this, but then you wouldn't hear from them for three weeks and then they'd be like, yeah, nah. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, what was all that waiting for then? Right. You know, I thought you liked me. Right. But no. Yeah. And then, um, so how many months was that process? And do you remember how many yeah. rejections you got from publishers? I got about, from publishers, I think we got, I want to say about 20 to 25. I'm not sure. the 20 to 25 for sure. Yeah. 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 And um, let's see, total rejection, 20 to 25. And, and we started in... February and I got a res- and I got an acceptance in May. February to May. That was not bad. February, March, April, May. Four months. Oh, okay. Until yeah. until unnamed came on board. Yeah. Four months. Yeah. So I guess it's not when you look at it in retrospect, it doesn't sound. It sounds like really like a flyby, but. It's- but it's a hundred and twenty days of like pretend like you have like not food poisoning, the stomach flu, and you're getting your um. Yeah. Everything. It's just all at one time. Right. And it's a 24-hour day, 100. It's like going to prison. Yeah. And, you're not, and you have to pretend to be normal and functional about your yeah. day job and everything yeah. else. And, you know, it's a, plus have all those symptoms. So it's yeah. like, and nobody wants to hear it. Like, every day, like, guys, do you know I'm on submission? Guys, do you know I'm on submission? Right. Nobody cares. Like, shut up and get on with your life. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's 120 days takes a lot of time. 
Now when I say four months, it's embarrassing to say that, oh my God, it was such a hard time because it was just four months and people are like, dude, it's four months. It is. It was just four months when you look at it now. Yeah. But. It's still a long road because, at, you know, after four months, when was, when between, you know, finishing the novella to that four months, yeah. Yeah. that was that over, was that, how long was that? Over, uh, that was over a year. Yeah. So and and then and then then you think of how long it took to write your first two books to learn how to write a book and then you write this book, and and that's just like a decade of your life. Exactly, it is. It yeah. is a decade of your life. So yeah. I mean, you know that that because you have to look at those two failed novels as a part of the process to this novel yeah. too, and that's what people do. They're like, oh, you wrote this draft so quickly. I'm like, but I couldn't have written this draft unless I had done hadn't done those two things, and that's just part of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh, I, years ago. I was interviewing this uh, film director, Todd Salons, and I asked him, "I was like, how long did it take you to write this script?" And he said, 47 years." And I was just like, "Good answer." <laughs> I'm just like, I stopped asking that question. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense, though. Yeah. I mean, because that's it's, and that's the reason why, that's the reason why I'm a book lover is because the we distill our voice. And every book is unique on some level where, you know, you go see a film, it's act one, act two, act three. Yeah. They need to bring in the ton. But, on the, but as readers, right. we, get to, we get to experience a completely different um, way of consuming story. So. Exactly. Absolutely. Who are your favorite writers again? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, that's what I do. When I, You're the worst. You're the worst. <laughs> Um, so then, then it gets with unnamed, and you, uh, you, you're living in uh, Bangalore. So do you fly out and talk? No, no, no. all over Skype. Oh, God, right. God bless the internet. Yeah. Um, and so, do you know that today is the first day, I, first time I met Chris Hesser, who's my publisher? Oh wow! And, and he's your editor too, right? Editor. He edited my freaking book like a year, almost a year ago, and I met him right now, like an hour before I'm talking to you. So. He's a good fella. He's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Great people. He uh, And I met Olivia at AWP in Portland just a few days ago for the first time. So because she was there. But, you know, so I've just met them like literally on this trip. But um, yeah, they were, I think one of the greatest things about this process has honestly been, you know, like there are friends who just got book deals and they're getting published in 2020 and 2021. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Can you imagine getting an offer and like you have to wait two years? Yeah. And, you know, with Olivia and Chris, it's like, uh, we're nimble and we're getting this out in 10 months. Yeah. And 10 months feels like, it's, then it's like a legit baby. Like you're planning for the baby and it's like it's got a definitive timeline, you know. With two years, it's just like, I guess I should work. Yeah. But I haven't worked because of this. I haven't worked on my other um, anything new precisely because of this. So it's got its pros and cons. Well, at the, at the same time, I mean, with uh, with what's great about Unnamed is that um, they could do the fast turnaround. But I've noticed with some indie publishers who do that fast turnaround, they can't do the marketing behind it, and they can't do the get the reviews. And Unnamed gets it, and they get they get it like almost better than some of the big houses. I don't know how they did that. They um, I got a review in um, LA Times three yeah. weeks ago. I could not believe it. Yeah. Like who? Like that was and. The, uh, it really kudos to them to getting the books in the in the right hands. Right. I mean, and 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 getting that kind of stuff done with like five months lead time, six yeah. months lead time. That's amazing. Yeah. And you're and right; it's bigger than it is a lot more than some bigger presses can do. Oh yeah. Yeah. And how, and how how was the LA Times review? It was 
fantastic. It was a glowing review and some yeah. from by a woman who really, really got it and really talked about the mental illness aspect of it, which I was um, really happy to see that somebody, like, it resonated so much. So I was... Um, I don't know. It's again surreal. This is a surreal moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's that's great when they, you get the glowing review and they know how they know and you know why you get the glowing review because they break it down. Yeah. Exactly. Where it's just a oh that was a glow you know oh that was they great. Break it down and they exact they give you their journey with it and yeah. that's a beautiful experience to see see your book through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. It's wonderful, right? And you see so many different. And then you you know it it has its life of, it has a life of its own and you have to say you have to let it go and say okay let people see it how they need to see it. Yeah. And how has that experience been for you? Because it's no longer yours. I mean, it's your name is on it, yeah, but now it. it's everyone else. Yeah, and so I'm I'm beginning to realize that because I think now for the first few weeks it's been easy because people who break it down too have broken it, bro- broken it down in a way I like. But there are going to be a few reviews that are going to break it down in ways that I do not like or be like, I wasn't going for that. But you have to be okay with that because that is what the point of writing or any art form is, is that you have to allow people to have their own journey with it. Because you put something in the world and the world, you know, that the energy has to keep manifesting into new, new things. And that's, I mean, that's what we do with it. Right? That's what we do with books and art and movies and all sorts of things. So... Uh, it's a little hard. It's going to be hard. I mean, I did like I've gotten some great reviews, but I've also got some sucky ass reviews. I think somebody on Goodreads put my book in like underwhelming reads of 2019. I'm like, that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> I started laughing. I was like, okay, thanks for putting it in underwhelming reads of 2019. <laughs> uh, yeah, they like like two. Two and three star reviews piss me off to no end. A one star review, I want. I'm like, yeah. good. I'm glad you like yeah. hate. I would rather have hate. You have, real, you have a real emotion to it. Yeah, Two yeah. and three, what the fuck is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That yeah. Why? Why did? Why are you going here? Like, just yeah. just don't talk about it. Why did you read past page twenty if it's a two? So this person like wrote this entire review, which is like why it's so like in the middle. Two and yeah. three and underwhelming. It's like, but I I mean I personally find it hilarious because right. if your book is in underwhelming reads, it's like really. It's funny. And then you find out... A lot more of that stuff. And that's going to be, um, that, you know, I, I, uh, I would love to read a review that hates my book. It's too early. Right. It's too early. It just released, you know, like three weeks ago. Yeah. So, but I'm sure there's going to be some one stars and that's going to be fun. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Well, it's a lot of fun to like, and then you kind of, do, then you hire a private detective. You find out where they live. You show up at their door. Them. In the oh, face. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I wasn't going to shoot him in the face. I was just going to be like passive aggressively, you know, like I know who you are and walk away. Keep your podcast legal here. <laughs> no, no, I, you can make it illegal. Go ahead. So you want to shoot people in the face. You have homicidal tendencies. <laughs> no, yeah, but yeah, I think uh, I, I, I want to read some one star reviews. That'll be fun. So you, um, you said something a minute ago, and this is something that I totally like. I'm into because I'm just—I call myself a hippy dippy dude, right? On this right. stuff, manifesting energy. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. I always uh, that I've I've learned that recently, kind of, and I'm always exploring the manifestation yeah. of energy and. So yeah, well, you're you're you're. Well, well, people will think I'm a complete nut job if I tell you what I really think about the world. Oh, but you know, the point yes, is. Let's go like this. Just yeah, yeah. destroy my credibility in one shot. <laughs> like three people listen. No, I'm kidding. There's, there's like less than three. I'm sorry. Less than three? No. Come on. No. Oh, um, why, why would you destroy your credibility? You're a great author. You, you, yeah. 
No, I, I you know, I actually I think uh, I put in a lot of hints in the book, not to, and I don't think a lot of people. It depends where your mental state is. So like, I feel like once you finish this book, you're gonna actually probably get a lot of what I'm saying about you, like what you're talking about, energy manifestation and. Um, a lot of the book has that kind of philosophy into it that the mind is something we have no idea about. No matter how much we say, like, you know, authoritative science says, we don't know, we don't know much about consciousness. And, um, you know, the problem is when we start talking about it in our own ways, in our own communities, um, it gets written off as hippy-dippy and um, psychosomatic and... And, and a lot of this book has got to do with the fact that, well, what is psychosomatic? What is, um, what is it, what do you call it when, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I've forgotten the word, the placebo effect. Okay, you, you know, when you look at these clinical trials, people are like, oh, you know, that was like placebo effect. What the hell is placebo effect? It keeps showing up everywhere. That means the mind is able to either A, heal itself, convince itself, or like project itself as it wants to, if you know, barring other environmental factors. But the point is, our mind is way more powerful or can harness a lot more than we want to admit in scientific terms. Yeah. That's, well, that's my belief. That's my belief, too. And it's kind of a belief that's a little scary because then we lose control exactly. exactly. When there's a loss of control of, um, oh, great, what am I bringing in that I'm yeah. not noticing? Yeah, and then it becomes your fault. And, and, and I think, you know, the, the answer to that is that See, we, we're living in a time where we also have to be aware of... Um, so there is this part, right? But then there's also social privileges and our political realities and the mess we've made as human beings because we're so confused. But the answer could be much more simplistic, but for us to get there... And this is why I say that after a certain... Like, I'm very politically um, uh, articulate, I think. I will speak up for a lot of things. But also, I say, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, when you look at social media and we're arguing and we're arguing and we're, we're having all these labels and rhetoric that we're, it's just rhetoric at the end of the day. Even being politically correct is just rhetoric. Yeah. It's just words. And the point is, is that unless there is some kind of spiritual revolution at some point, um, there's no real answer to a lot of the things we're talking about we're, because we're talking in circles. We might be talking about them in better ways and more articulate ways and more woke ways, but there still needs to be some kind of um, uh, a very community-driven, very simplistic answer um, that comes down to you know something as simple as love, even though that sounds so reductive. Right. But it. But I believe that, that you know that when it comes to the mind and the way we see the world, uh, it's it's about it's about kind of delabeling us. When, you know, right now it is important to have labels because it allows us to politically organize and, you know, fight for certain rights. But at some point in our evolution, we have to lose those because that's, that's, that to me is a different kind of spiritual revolution. And go back to just human. I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly, absolutely, yeah. And that's the inevitable, I, I, I hope to f say that that's the inevitability of human evolution. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that is something thematically that I was really trying to work into the book um, with one of the main characters in the book, who is Sarah, who's chronically ill. Right. And, you know, it's kind of a response to the world to say that, you know, sometimes you hear about well, eating disorders and people who are sick with no reason or have, you know, different, you know, or mental illness, right? 
and I want to say like well we make all these labels and we make all these kinds of ideas about what what this person is going through and sometimes it's a response to the world like it's a response to envi to environments that don't make sense anymore yeah. to us to our souls yeah. and therefore it's you know and you know um, Sarah in this book she says that she says that you know my my body is rejecting my soul is rejecting the body because it doesn't make any sense and so therefore it'll come up with any excuse to go through it and therefore you know her chronic illness it's an idea to play with i'm not trying to say anything specific but it's an idea to play with well and i think it's an important one because sometimes the pain of a physical pain is a lot easier to deal with because you can put an identifier on it than mental pain because mental pain there's less of a identifiable yeah absolutely because mental pain is anyway nobody takes that very seriously um, because you can't but, but when I say you know um, I've hurt my hand you look at me even if you have empathy as you are right now for mental illness you will still take me more seriously if I say I injured my hand I, I broke my hand and I think that's I think that is a very fascinating way to look at the way we we react to our environment or call for attention because we're actually asking for attention. We're asking that we want to be validated. Some some part of our body or mind needs to be validated and, and this culture, this environment is not allowing that. So yeah, I, um, I so I used to be severely agoraphobic where I couldn't leave my house and oh, this was for a few years and then I was and then in order to get out of the house I would drink a ton of whiskey and you know, take pills, and then I would, just to get outside, and then I would still feel completely, like, sober because I was having panic attacks. So, um, so I, I get the whole mental illness thing, and, and people who, um, people who knew me knew how bad it was, and then there was people who were on the peripheral who was like, Tony just seems way too comfortable, you know, uh, when I would get to a, when I would get to the party, or I would get to an event, and I would read, and then it was just like, it seemed off the cuff, but they have no idea the torment it took of days to get there. But I can get in front of a 200 people, no problem, and talk. That doesn't scare me in any way at all. And I would. I can relate to that. Yeah. 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 But I, I, I'm not to the point where I can't get out. But um, most of the time when I live in, I'm in my house, and I rarely, um, I do not like to get out. I don't know. I wonder if there is something with you know certain pe kinds of people who like they want to be Sheldon. But if you tell me to go and do a talk over there or discuss what I feel, I'll do it. Like I'm, you know, I'm an open book with you right now. But um, it's not that I have anything to hide. But it's like I don't prefer it. I prefer when I have my own um, time to be by my, to be inwards. So I don't know. I don't know. It's like even with this podcast. There's so many times where I'm like, this is the stupidest idea. I don't want to go interview anybody today. What the hell am I thinking? But I always know afterwards, my soul feels gratified. And that's what, exactly why you're doing it. Yeah. That's it, you know? That's your response. For me, like, that's what I feel. It's like, your response to the universe right now. Is this, this is what you're supposed to be doing, and that's why you get out, irrespective of all the other odds, right? right? Yeah. So. And that's why I shower, put on clothes, and yeah. do, do, that. do that. Which is harder than a lot of people think. Yeah. For some, right? Yeah. It depends, yeah. Yeah, I'm a lot better now. I mean, I've, that, was, that, was in, that was in my San Francisco days, even though I still have a lot of self-dialogue. Right. Where I'm working, where I'm always kind of going, you know, uh, calculating my feelings and going, wait a second, that panic attack is coming up because I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling sad. And so it, and, and, well, no, it doesn't build up. That kind of breaks it down for me. So it, so it's not, so it's identifiable, almost like I hurt my wrist. Oh, okay, that's anger about blank, you know. Yeah, so you've got I'm a mess. 
So how many podcasts have you done now? Oh, well... Uh, no, no. Well, I've, so we rebooted in October. So um, I just put up episode 27 for the reboot. But over the years, hundreds, yeah. uh, maybe... I mean, because we were doing weekly for such a long time. Um, yeah, there's, there's hundreds of interviews that I still have to get off of old mini DV tapes and also a mini disc. I used to use mini disc and I used to do it off the... So um, I'm kind of trying to get all my archives together because it's, they're a mess right now. So that's amazing, though. That's yeah. really truly amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean that was. It's weird because it was just tenacity. I mean, this is like before I got published. This is before I started writing because I, I used to write for the San Francisco Chronicle. This was before that, where um, I just had a web. I had a webzine, and uh, it was it was called it was it was called literary. No, it was called Cherry Bleeds. The tagline was uh, life-affirming stories by suicidal writers. And so then I decided, why don't I try to get free books? <laughs> so, so I did a book of the month club. And all of a sudden, everyone's sending me books. You know, this is like year 2000. Yeah, for yourself. And then the first one was, uh, I don't know if you know Chuck Polinick. He wrote Fight Club. and All right, so he, so the publicist gets in touch with me, and she says, hey, he's in Berkeley. Do you want to interview him? And I went, oh, what? Wow. You interviewed Chuck? That was my first interview. Wow. What? Really? That's amazing. And so, so I was just like, oh, yeah, of course. And she's like, oh, where, where, where will it be published? And I was like, so it was called Cherry Bleeds at the time. I was like, uh, uh, it's, uh, it'll be on the Cherry Beads Literary Web Stream. That's what I called it. Uh, that's excellent. And then from there I went, wait, I could talk to authors too? And then... Then you just started doing this. Yeah, and it's really funny because on, on, um, on early episodes, it's like, how do you write a book? How do you create character? It was all me asking. Yeah, and then... Yeah. And then you found your way right to it, right? And after like I had my book finished, I was like, "How do you find an agent?" And I really would stay on that journey. <laughs> I, just, I, gave my, I gave myself a degree just by talking to authors, by walking, by talking. Yeah. I, I, just, I only graduated high school. So that, yeah. That's phenom- That's a phenomenal story. Then the amount of like stuff that you've learned on the writing, on the writing front, and the people yeah. that you've talked to, right? Yeah. It's so much more real learning, if you ask me. Well, I mean, reading really did save my life because I was in a really bad spot and I wasn't allowed to read books that were so-called not religious when I grew up. So, um, so when I was when I, a friend had killed himself and I was myself contemplating suicide in my twenties, I asked the elders in my congregation for help, and they're like, "No, and you can't grieve your friend." And so then I went to the library and went to, I just I didn't know what to do and I'm like, well, how do I get rid of my thoughts of wanting to kill myself? Which led to silly self-help books, then poetry, and then I found novels and I went, whoa! I never read anything like this in my life. These people are speaking to me on a spiritual level that I've never had before. So in the end, novels and writing is my religion. Wow, that's an amazing story. How did you turn this on me? I I don't know. Pretty good at it. No. Are you? Are you? Good story. Yeah. 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 I, I, I just really like conversations, and I think they're always fifty-fifties. No. Yeah. I'm messing with you. Of course, this is fifty-fifty. This, as I told you, we don't edit. We just go right into this. And it's really live. You're never. You're not going to edit anything, right? 
No, except for when I screwed up the uh, intro. No one will have. No one will hear that. But beyond that, no. And what, everything's in. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, um, you brought up your dad earlier, and you dedicated the book to your father, which I thought was a, such a beautiful dedication. Do you want to talk about your father for a minute? Sure. Yeah, my father was really supportive of um, what I want to do. I think he had big dreams for me. Uh, he was a lot more. Uh, he was a very cons- he was conservative though in his own way. So he was kind of inconsistent in his parenting sometimes. So we had some issues. But he died very early. He died in 2012. He was 59. And um, but he had seen me get into uh, my MFA program, and he was really proud about that. He was really excited about that. Um, and you know, uh, I think a year, mm, I would say two years before he passed away, he gave me uh, a book that said, "This year you will write your novel." And on Walter Mosley. Yes, Walter Mosley. Oh my God! It's my. It's one of my favorite writing books of all time. Yes. Wow! 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 Yeah. So he gave me that. He signed it and he said, "I can't wait to see your novel." And. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he used to spend a lot of time in Barnes and Nobles having coffee um, and like looking at books. He wasn't a reader reader, but he would look at a lot of nonfiction titles and it was kind of odd. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't call him a reader, though, but he spent a lot of time in Barnes and Nobles and Starbucks having coffee. And um, so he picked this book up and he wrote it and he gave it to me on Father's Day. So, um, yeah, so I still have that book. And, you know, for this to happen, like everybody in my family, like my mom, was like, oh, my God, if only your father saw. And, you know, sometimes they believe, well, well, I think he's still there and I think he still does see this. And, you know, it's part of the energy. It's part of the continuity of uh, things in maybe just ways we, we don't know how to explain yet. But I feel there's this, you know, energy there. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. That's so sweet. Yeah, so Walt, so that book is my favorite writing book to um, to. What a coincidence! This is such a coincidence that I even brought this up, and that you that you yeah. know this book. Well, because there's okay, so so many how-to books are utter bullshit. That's why, yeah. So I didn't know if this was like a particularly good one. So it's really odd that you say that you love this book and you have it. You know. Yeah. Well, because Walter Mosley does not need to write a how-to book, and so many how-to books out there are like, oh man, I better get some cash. I'll write a how-to book, and they're bloated, and I feel like they block writers, and they they get in the way of everything that they need to stay out of the way from. Walter Mosley writes, what, 95 pages? Super slim book. Yeah. And seriously, that's all you need to know how to write a novel is what Walter Mosley says. Because he doesn't care if you like his, if, if you're going to buy into his, you know, all this bullshit yeah, stuff. Yeah. He's not, you don't want, he's not there to buy into your brand. Like, you don't have to buy into his brand. He's right. just there to tell you. Yeah. He's like, look, I'm not, a, I'm not an influencer on Instagram, but I got the cred, motherfucker. So. Very true. Very true. Very yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you're, so did that book, so now that I've gone on and on, you read that book and that book helped your process. I did read that book. I did read that book. Um, um, and then I, like, just kept it for long. So it's not like it was on the forefront of my mind, but I did read that. And I thought it was very to the point and very to the point because a lot of other things is like like you said it's about instagram following and that's the stuff i can't stand anymore so that's the thing you know um so i guess because of all of that other stuff i didn't even know if like it resonated with me but it was more special because my my dad gave it to me it resonated i didn't even know if other people if this book resonated with others so it's it's a great moment to hear that you know you think that's a great book Oh, yeah. that I have it and that my dad randomly pick it up because he didn't know anything about anything like he's just like oh writing yeah, you no know way. it was kind of, so, yeah absolutely 100% so yeah, yeah so. I mean, every quarter when I teach that's on my required reading list Th- that's that's yeah. see that's the only one too. That's that's like, I, I also um, I also advise 
Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont and On Writing by Stephen on King. Writing. Yeah, On Writing Stephen King. That's a great book. Because yeah. Yeah. there's another one. Stephen King doesn't need to sit there and blow, exactly. blow us with, I'm going to tell you how to do it in 24 hours. No, 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 not at all. What um so you, what what are your interests outside of uh outside of writing what you know what do, what do you do outside of and then you got your big teaching gig in Bangalore that I you do used, no so I used to teach I used to uh, run something co-run something called the Bangalore Writers Workshop oh, yeah, yeah. but now I um, actually co-founded a branding and design company in Bangalore called Write Leela Write okay and so my business partner she is the uh, designer head of it and I do the content part and we are a four member team and we do a lot of we work with a lot of startups to create you know web content and logo identity and um, kind of like branding workshops ghostwriting all this sort of stuff yeah yeah so that's how we pay the bills we call it survival job in LA and then I live with my partner in Bangalore and we have got two dogs two Uh, Indian rescue dogs and uh, they're Nimbu and Henna. Nimbu means lemon in in uh, Hindi. So yeah, her name is Lemon, which is odd. And Henna, you know what Henna is? You know the Henna tattoo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's got so Henna is the other do- the dog that we have, and they kind of rule our lives while we're there. So yeah. And then um, so now that you're on tour, your partner's utterly missing you. No, he is with oh, he's, me. Oh, he's, he's with you. Great. He's not here. Uh, he's in the Bay Area right now because he's also trying to get some work done while I had my readings. So he's not going to be here for uh, a reading that I have in L.A., but he was uh, he was with me in Denver and San Francisco. So, yeah, he, he's also trying to hustle while he's here because the Bay Area is nerd town, right? So, And he's doing... It is, and he's and he's a nerd in, in terms of, like, he's doing a startup for machine learning platforms. So, like, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's the, that's the place for him to be, I guess. So the other thing is being in a relationship and being a writer yeah. is hard on the other person. So he's he must have been like a supportive rock of sorts. I'm just pushing this out there, but maybe he wasn't. So tell me if he wasn't. Too. He was. He also let me be who I needed to be. Like I think that's why um, it, our relationship works really well because we both had you know we've not been really great at relationships both of us before in previous relationships, but together I think we're really good. Um, I think as a writer, there are a lot of times that you want to just be isolated and you want to be left alone. And I think that can be really hard on another uh, uh, person in a relationship because they would be like, they take it personally. Um, but I think he's really good at like allowing me to be, like in my during my evenings, I like to be left alone and I like to sit and do my thing, even if it's just watching something on YouTube and then writing something or whatever it is. And um, he, he, allow, he allows that space. And I think that's really, really important. And then we enjoy the other things, you know, like really, really well. So that's... That's a great. He's and he's he's a wonderful person. Yeah. Do you know what watching YouTube is? Do you know what? What watching YouTube is? I what what is it, what do you mean? It's research. It's research. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, for me it was. It really was. Okay. But sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But sometimes I do have to watch old videos of concerts, but that's research too. It is. It all feeds your you know collective memory and imagination and everything that you make. Yeah. Yeah, well, that and that's funny that you had a, um, you both had earlier failed relationships, just like early failed novels. Yeah. You learn how to you learn how to be in a re- relationship. It's it, it imitates life. Art imitates life. Life imitates art. Yeah. Right. Very much. Very much so. Yeah. So um, nah, I just I completely lost my thought because I was just relishing in that beautiful idea of relationships and yeah, yeah. the novel and the relationship. Yeah. Half. And um, so, have you been to Los Angeles before? I've 
I've been to LA like well first of all I used to fly to India a lot even when I was in the US so I, I had to go through LAX a lot but I have been to LA a couple of times one is to go to Universal Studios yeah because I love I love Universal Studios and then um, the other time was for a friend's wedding about 11 years ago so I don't remember that much but yeah but that that was like I'm not very familiar with the city at all I like I'm not familiar at all so are you gonna are you gonna be able to stay a while? Because I think this is the last. Is this the last date on your uh, tour? No, I have a reading tomorrow, and I leave the after early in the morning. Oh. Okay. Like super early, and then I go back, and then I go to SF airport, and right from there I fly back to India. Wow. Eight hours plus eight hours. Yeah, it's gonna be a bitch. Yeah. The flight is the worst. Because how long is it from uh, SFO? So I go from SF to Amsterdam, which is eight and a half hours. Okay. And then Amsterdam to Bangalore, which is about the same, eight and a half, nine hours. And what do you do on the flight so you don't lose your mind? Uh, it's very, you do lose your mind. Um, okay. so, so you I, just go with it and you, and you pee on the, you pee, what's that? Sleeping pills, over-the-counter sleeping pills. That helps. Um, this time I twisted my neck. And um, so I had to go to, a do- to get a doctor. Okay, how do you afford healthcare in this country? I would like to ask you. Because I don't have insurance. I'm visiting the country. I'm visiting the U.S. I twisted my neck and I had to go see a doctor because I realized I had so many flights left from my tour. And I had a flight back to India. which is going to- And I had readings. Like I- and I had to wear a neck brace. I had to go to Walgreens and get a neck brace. I spent $250 for one appointment with a doctor. Yeah. Right? right, just to get a prescription for muscle relaxant. So I mean, it's it's ridiculous. No, it's it's pathetic. It's yeah. sad. It's yeah. really pathetic. Like this is such a basic, yeah. basic thing human beings need. And if you have to pay that much, yeah. I mean, this is just a neck spasm. Imagine if there was a real problem, right? So it's just like. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard like people are like and to avoid the ambulance yeah. charge because yeah. ambulances. Yeah. I mean, you're in the thousands, thousands of dollars. Right. They take Uber instead. I mean, it's, it's crushing. I don't know what to yeah. say. It's like, you know, and then you talk about America trying to be one of the first world developed worlds, yeah. right? And, and that's such bullshit. Because when you don't have medical, like, you know, I have friends who are chronically ill and they can't, they're scared that their insurance is going to be taken at any day. And that means their lives are going to be like, how can you think about, you know, uh, going to your job every day saying that more than the, your salary, I mean, if you had to pay for that medication, it's yeah. going to be more than your salary. Yeah. And you're probably going to go in debt paying for medications just to stay alive yeah. it's ridiculous and and then that if they own property the houses are taken for the health care yeah. yeah so uh i don't think that's the marker of a developed country at all yeah. so so in india what's what's the situation like uh if if you were if you had the same uh, ailment how much would it cost and what would the well, i feel like in india first of all it's way cheaper but you also have to understand that i am more of uh you know india has there's a lot, I mean, if, because there's such a huge number of people, we, um, you know, there's a lot of people like me who uh, come from a class which has got a lot more resources and a lot more money, but there's also a lot more people who don't get that active resources. So I think it's more of access to resources that uh, for a lot of people that they don't get as much, but it's much, much cheaper. Like, um, for example, even for me in the city, to go to a proper doctor if I had the same neck spasm, right? No, there's no insurance or anything. Just go to a doctor, a good doctor, um, and get your medication. I would have to spend 350 rupees, which is $6, $7, $7. And my medication would cost me about under $5. 
No, and then and then in the United States, people go, oh man, you know, we have this drug problem. The drug dealers on the street, and it's like because people can't afford two hundred fifty dollars to go see a doctor when they know they need a muscle relaxer, and then get it for thirty bucks when they go to the. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. So it makes makes no sense. But I hope you know. Uh, that India, you know, doesn't start going that way, that pharmaceutical way. It can, it can start going, you know. It can, of course, because it's becoming also, you know, very influenced by uh, capitalism. We're going through our own industrial revolution right now. Um, so, you know, and it is copying the American model in many different ways, economically. I see I am that. so sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, so, you know, of course, India can't afford to ever price their medication like that, the way America does, because we simply have too many people and you know half our country will die if, 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 if you even try something like that but even then you know uh, even then a lot of people don't get access to good quality medical care but I think it's more of a thing of distribution of quality access to thing rather than daily exp like we you know the average urban Indian middle-class person doesn't worry too much about medical general medical expenses because it's a it's basically affordable unless there's you have cancer or there's sur major surgery still I mean medical tourism is a huge thing in India and Thailand right people come there because it's a quarter of the price or less for major in for major surgeries so yeah and I had a thought it just went away we were talking we were talking about books oh no no no, no. I wanted to get back on your book for a second because as I was reading it I I was seeing the film I don't know if you've actually had any film interest or on it but I was just like I'm reading this going Oh my God! This is a film. I don't know if you thought that. Yeah, I do have some uh, somebody, some agent is looking at it for film interest. You know what? My secret fantasy. I think it would make a really good Netflix series, like an independent, more than a movie. Like I, I think it would make a really good, uh, like a like a six episode one time series. I think it would be cool. You need any help? You know, I've done stuff like that before. Yeah, actually, I did. Oh, okay, very cool. Well, I adapted uh, the, I adapted the um, my first novel into screen. It's on uh, it's on Amazon now. It came out last year. Yeah, uh, Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Before I'm that's why I think um, before this, I've read it somewhere very recently, like in the last year. Where did I read something about it. Oh really. I'll have to get back to you this. Yeah, yeah. My, my book got into the the mind of someone in India? Uh, I, well, I read it on the internet, so I don't, like, yeah, global internet. But, yeah, possibly. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm trying to feed my serious? ego here. Is it serious? No, no, that was that was an independent film um, that, yeah, that I got, I got to adapt the book. So that, anyway, but, um, yeah, I'm blowing smoke up my own ass right now, but... Uh, but when I was reading your book, I was just like, oh, this man, I, I'm, I'm like sitting there just thinking I would watch this and just eat it up instantly. I, and the six episode thing, I could totally see. That'd be fun, huh? Yeah. Because yeah. I enjoy a binge watch with one show and it's one, you know, you got these little mini narrative arcs and I think that would be fun. I think this would be fun because it has those small little cliffhangers, tiny ones, tiny, tiny, tiny ones. Yeah. Is there anything recently you've been watched that you're totally into? Um, I think I watched something on Am uh, Amazon Prime called Made in Heaven. It's an Indian series and it's yeah. really, really good. Okay. One of the best I've watched, binge watched a lot on, you know, with a certain class lens on a very Indian elite. 
but still like kind of showing a lot of the problems and masking of power and stuff like that um, done through Indian weddings you know the lavishness of Indian elite weddings really well done really well done show very dark also but very well done very well done yeah I'm a fan of the dark and good storytelling storytelling and dark yeah I like it too yeah yeah, I just, um, I, I'm a fan of this show called The OA. It came on Netflix. I don't know if you've heard I've of it. seen it. I have not watched it. I, I mean, I uh, track. Is that a good binge watch, you think? Is it? It's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite shows. They're on season two. When I, went, I saw them do a panel discussion, and when they were discussing it, they discussed their writing process, and they're like, yes, we wrote it like a novel, and we wrote it this way. And I was like, I knew I loved it. It has a literary, just a literary touch to it. Wow, right. Okay. I have to check it out now, since you've recommended it. Yes. And um, do you have any advice for beginning writers? We'll, 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 end on, we'll end on the big information dump from you. <laughs> my beginning, uh, my advice to beginning writers. Um, my only advice is that, like what we said in the beginning, that rejection is 90% of it. So if you're not, Only 90? Well, yeah, let's be positive. Let's be optimistic. Okay. <laughs> 90%. 90% is rejection. Um, you know, and then uh, you have to really believe in what you do. Like, give yourself a reality check. See what's out there in the world. Know that your work is good or you have something to say, right? Because sometimes um, people feel like they need to be a writer and that they were actually meant to do something else and they find out later in life, wait, I'm actually better at this. Or, you know, I feel... So, like, be true to yourself. Like, make sure you're not doing it for any other reason except for the fact that, you know, you want you want to put something out there in the world and you believe there is a voice out there that is telling something that's, you know, has a story to say in this, in this world. Um, but if you want to be a writer-writer where you're like, books are the goal and, you know, all of this fun stuff that we've been talking about, uh, do not spend time obsessing over rejection and even having pity parties about it I mean if you have a pity party just talk to yourself about it and pity yourself but don't don't go and tell everybody don't get everybody to come and like you know have a pity party for you because you know what it's going to train you mentally to think that this is you know that this is what it is like you know you, you, you keep like taking this energy and saying oh you know it's so hard and I'm never going to get this and I'm never and uh, I don't think that's the right frame. I think that, you know, rejection is something you can't actively think about all the time. You just have to keep doing it. Like, oh, I got rejected here, I got rejected. So if you're getting 10 rejections a month, then you know you're putting stuff out there. So that's a good metric. So I know it sounds a little hardcore, but that's really my, my advice. It's like, rejection has to be your lover. Rejection has to be your lover? Oh, we end on that. Rhea, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. It was wonderful, wonderful talking with you. Big thanks to Rhea for being on the show. Her book is The Body Myth. Check it out. It's pretty rad. Also, let me tell you about shows coming up on Drinks with Tony. Next week, we have CJ Farley, and that will be episode 31. May 8th, we have Saskia Vogel. May 15th, we have Christine Sneed. And other upcoming guests include uh, Mo Welch. Who else do we got on here? Uh, we got a lot, but they're not in the can yet. And I kind of feel weird about announcing them and when they're not in the can. Hey, keep reading books, keep listening to podcasts, and just keep doing what you do. It's great. Here's affirmation. You know what you're doing right now? It's amazing. You rock. That's, 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 the, uh, that's the out cue for this week's episode of Drinks with Tony. I will see you next Wednesday. Have a great week.